you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Governor John Kasich of the great state of Ohio. So good to have you on Hello Somebody. How are you today? I'm thrilled to be with you. I'm doing very well and pleasure to be able to uh, to do something I hope constructive with you, which I know this will be, but I'm just so excited that you have your voice and you're out there because you need to be heard. Oh, thanks, Governor. Now, some people will call us the odd couple. You don't. I don't think you like when I say that. You you, you always say, that's not true. Um, but you and I served together. I was in the Ohio Senate when you were governor of our great state. And you and I, we, 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 t- we tumbled a little bit. We tussled a little bit. But we always maintained our respect for one another. I don't know if you remember. I remember when... You, you got there early on and you came to my office. I think you were just going by the offices of all. I would like to think I was special, but I think you were going by the offices of all the Democrats. <laughs> I'm still holding out that I was special, but I'm not so sure. But I thought how refreshing that was because you were the first governor to ever to, to do that. Why did you feel it was important to come and uh, talk to Democrats? Well, you know, when I was first elected, the legislature, uh, I was in the minority, but I never thought of myself as the minority. I thought of myself as just being a member of the legislature. When I went to Congress, I was in the minority for a long time, but I never kind of thought of myself that way. I thought of myself as, hey, these are other folks. They're human beings. They're trying to do a good job. I'll take my ideas to them and and see if, if they can be advanced. And most of the time, they were. People said, okay, yeah, we can work together. That's a good idea. And, you know, I, I, I get so tired of this whole kind of labeling one another, you know, liberal, conservative, moderate, Republican, Democrat. I mean, we're just human beings that have different points of view and based on our experiences or things, it, the, things that, are, that we were taught. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's okay. It's the, the, the problem we have today is that if you don't think the way I think, 
you know, I have to be angry or, or upset with you. And I just don't buy that. And one other thing, I think that when we, when we are with people, we have two choices. We can try to measure we, whether we agree with them on, you know, the bulk of what they think, or there's another way to think about it. And that is, what is it that we do agree upon? And I found that when I search for what it is I agree upon with other people, I can get things done and have not only get things done, but have a friendship and friendship is important to me and trust is important to me. So you and I aren't going to see eye to eye on, you know, a number of things, but who cares? I mean, you're, you're a great person and you, I learned from you and, and uh, we have a great relationship and I, and I really like that. And that's the way it should be in politics, you know? And, uh, you know, look for things that we can agree on, we can disagree respectfully, and move on. Yes, and that, that's harder and harder these days, Governor. I do remember. You're right, we do label. We've been socialized to do that, who's on whose team. And if you're not on my team, I, I, I want to cancel you or not hear anything that you have to say, not to not be open to, as Stephen Covey once said, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And to me, we're losing more and more and more of that. And I don't know if it's because of social media. I don't know if it's because of all of the different stimuli we get constantly being bombarded with this person is good, this person is evil, this person is up, this person is down. And it doesn't, that kind of constant, being constantly bombarded with those kinds of messages, I think it makes it hard for people to have at least even an open mind to hear somebody else's side, even if you do not agree. What are some of the things that you recommend, even beyond our politics? I mean, you and I can talk about bipartisanship because we served in bodies and we had to work with people from uh, different political perspectives or ideologies, but you are right. At the core, we are all human beings. What are some recommendations or some experiences that you have had that you were able to say, you know what, I'm going to step back on this and just listen to what this person has to say. And how can we utilize those uh, skill sets just in everyday life? Because it's not just about being an elected official. It's just about being a person in the yeah. world, trying to navigate the world. You know, you know, Nina, there's something that is an old fashioned idea. Okay. But I kind of think it's more relevant today than it's ever been. I happen to believe that every person is made in the image of God. And every person, having been made in the image of God, deserves respect, not derision. Not try to tear them down and to make them, you know, less less uh, of, of what their potential is or to analyze them in such a way and be bitter. Because, you know, every single person that I've ever known has their aches and their pains, their highs and their lows, things they're proud of and things they're embarrassed by. But I think if we stop for a second and put ourselves in other people's shoes and remember that each of us was made in the image of God and that in and of itself deserves respect. Now, there are some people out there who are flat out haters. They're just bad seeds and bad apples. Uh, I think you can attempt to have a conversation with them, but I got to tell you, there's so many people out there. There's so, so many folks that you can talk to and reach that when I stumble across the haters, uh, if I feel it more than once, I stay away from them. And uh, 
I don't find it's very productive for me to try to get them to understand me, and I, I don't quite understand them. But those are not great numbers of people. I think most people, if you're willing to listen to them and to see where they're coming from, uh, you can reach some accommodation. And I think that's true in, in no matter what we're talking about. But it seems today that in our society that too many people just want to say, want to label people and then, you know, as you said early on in this, cancel them out. And we don't have the right to cancel any human being out. And if somebody's a bad seed, well, I'm not, I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner, but I can stay away and let the Lord deal with the rest of that. I really do believe, you know, that, and I'm not talking about trying to, involve religion, you know, and have, read the Bible and figure out what you're going to do in politics. But what I know is that I have an obligation to treat other people the way I want other people to treat me. Now, do I get this right all the time? Of course not. Of course I get frustrated and, and, and you know, angry or say something negative about somebody. But that's not the way I want to be seen. It's not the way I want to be heard. And it's not what I want to represent to my family and especially my children. So I think if we just take a deep breath, and isn't it amazing when we step back and we think about the trials and the tribulations of others? I was uh, talking to somebody the other day and found out that this this one man had had lost a child at a very early age. That affects everything about that person. And if, if I'd have known that from the offset, I probably would have thought about that person in somewhat a different way. And uh, so I think following that golden rule is really important and open ourselves up to the uniqueness that each person brings. That's kind of the way I look at it. You talk a lot about the change has to come from the bottom and that you and I really have that philosophy in common, that the great things that happen in this country and that are yet to happen, you know, there are lots of things that have not unfolded yet, that that change has to come from the bottom if if the people who are quote unquote on the bottom and what we mean by bottom we mean grassroots everyday people not people with special titles not that somebody it's not a hierarchical relationship we're talking about we're we're talking about the, the, the 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 everyday people of this nation from all walks of life that the change that happens comes from them many of them governor in this moment are feeling very heavy so many people have lost their jobs. We're almost at 50 million people. People, the essential workers are out there doing the best that they can in the midst of this uh, coronavirus, this pandemic that all human beings have to deal with. What words of encouragement would you give to the the bottom up people so that they uh, are not discouraged, so that they are encouraged to continue to be, to be the change? I mean, I tell you an interesting story. I was I was out the other day, and I, I saw a mom, African-American mom, with her, her daughter. I didn't know how old she was, and, and I started to talk to him, and I said to the young girl, how old are you? She said, well, I'm 13. And I said, oh, I said, uh, what do you want to be when you, when you grow up? She said, ready for this? I want to be an orthodontist. How does a 13-year-old decide they want to be an orthodontist? But that was a good pick on her part. And I looked at her mom, and I said, you know, Think about how many 13-year-old African-American girls and boys in the past never could have their dreams realized because somebody held them down because of their race. 
Right. And the mom looked at me. I think she was she was somewhat flabbergasted that I was saying this to her. But I said, you know, we've made progress, but we have a long way to go. And the fact of the matter is, is that the people of this country had not been marching during the civil rights movement, it wouldn't have happened. The problem is change, as you know, Nina, you and I are both the same place. We want it to be done tomorrow, but we realize the change doesn't happen overnight. So we have to stay at it and stay at it and stay at it. And when we do, uh, we won't be denied. If we have a righteous cause, uh, if we're able to talk about it in, in a way that's fairly compelling, we'll get a group of people and we can change anything. Uh, you know, it was just about a hundred years ago, believe it or not, where women finally started to get the right to vote. Look at how long it took for us to get there. But I think that, that I still believe in our system. I believe in our country and I believe it works, but change is not something that comes overnight that we have to stay at it. We really do. We have to fight like it can happen overnight because we got to keep pushing. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR-positive, HER2-negative NBC as the first hormonal-based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You and I both are spiritual people, so I want to go back to that. But, you know, you made me think about a quote from Brian Stevenson, and he wrote the book Just Mercy. But one of the things that he said, he said, an absence of compassion can corrupt the decency 
of a community, a state, a nation. Fear and anger can make us vindictive, abusive, unjust, and unfair until we all suffer from the absence of mercy and we condemn ourselves as much as we victimize others. And just just having this conversation with you, because I wanted our conversation to be more about what you and I have done together. We're going to talk about that and what we have in common and not so much about what we don't have in common. And people can go and look that kind of stuff up. And it's uh, most of the conversations these days are filled with what people don't have in common, how people cannot come together. And for you and I to have found our common ground with one another, and we have been together ever since building not just a professional working relationship, but a real friendship. And I know when people analyze the both of us and they look at our political journeys, you know, they, they're probably scratching their heads. But what brings, draws you and I together is a compassion and a love and a willingness to be accepting and a willingness to want to be a part of a bigger change. But the absence, when when Brian said, an absence of compassion can corrupt the decency of a community, a state, and a nation, that made me think about what we're talking about right now. Well, I I think it's it's also a a pursuit of justice, you know? And um, I think, Nina, you know, unfortunately, um, for too many people, I don't know how many, but they never seem to have justice here, the here and now. But when we talk about spirituality, believing in, in God, in a higher power, that gives, I, I am absolutely assured and convinced that there will be justice. Sometimes it comes now, but oftentimes it comes later. And as I studied you know, parts of the civil rights movement, I noted inside of it, at the same time there was the push for justice, there was a sense in a number of the acts of the soul, this is my read, that we will get justice, and we're fighting for justice. But And if we don't get it here, we will get it. Someday we will get it. And I, I, I happen to believe that. And a lack of compassion, you know, I think that comes from the fact that we get ourselves siloed, and, and we can't to put ourselves as much as we should in somebody else's shoes. And uh, I traveled all over the country last year speaking, and I would tell people, you know, it's been both liberals and conservatives that have sort of demonized uh, people who are on public assistance. And I know there's some people that take advantage of it, but think about a single mom with a couple kids trying to go to work, get their kids to school, dressing them, getting them ready, you know, feeding them. I mean, think about how hard that was. And then we say to them, oh, well, you don't deserve, you know, some help. I mean, when you say that to people, people will by and large overwhelmingly say, well, you know, you're right. We should should be supporting them. We shouldn't be picking on them or calling them names. I think sometimes it's up to us, I don't mean politicians, but up to us as people, to be able to explain to other people, hey, put yourself in that person's shoes and you'll get a little better perspective and there'll be more justice and there'll be more compassion. And, you know, we can talk about all the problems we have today in the country, but I still fundamentally believe that we are a good country, uh, but I would like us 
as a nation to think a little bit more about that higher power and our responsibility to that higher power for the gifts that we've all received. I think that's really important. Me too, Governor. I, for me, you know, we have the potential to be a good nation. When I look at our history, uh, we still we still on the ledger of doing better and, and being more just. We still got a lot lots of work to do on that on that end. And when I when I think about though, speaking of justice, it's something that you and I worked on together. I think this was the thing that really cemented our relationship and really brought us together. It was the shooting of a 12-year-old Tamir Rice in the city of Cleveland. This happened in November of 2014. And he was on a playground and he was playing with a toy gun. There was a phone call made. Uh, we're dealing with these kinds of issues right now. The voice seemed as though it was a white man. I believe it was a white man and he called the dispatcher and he said somebody's walking around here with a gun. I think it's a toy gun. I mean, I remember listening to the 911 call and, and he did say that he thought it was a toy gun but he wasn't sure. And the police came and the end of the story is that Tamir Rice was shot and he was killed and he was only 12 years old. And I remember getting a call from you and you were asking about how are things going in Cleveland? I'm sure you called Mayor Jackson and some others too, but you called me and you wanted to know. And that is when we started our conversation about me wanting to come and see you and, and bring a couple of my colleagues so that we could talk about what we could do to ensure that the voices of people who feel voiceless and powerless in moments like that so that they could have real voice. You and I both were concerned. Uh, we did not want violence to erupt. We didn't want people to feel so helpless that they wanted to, that they felt they had to go out and try to get justice by other means. And I came to see you and two other elected officials as well. And we had a deep, long conversation and you acted very quickly. I mean, you called in, I think it seemed like it was your entire cabinet. I know it wasn't the entire cabinet, but Beth was there and and other folks in, in your cabinet, uh, Director John Bourne and some others. And we got to work that same day, within that same meeting, we got to work. And then the very next day, that was a Thursday, the next day you signed an executive order to create the Ohio Task Force on Community and Police Relations. And you appointed uh, Director John Bourne and yours truly, myself, uh, Senator Nina Turner on that task force and you were very clear about how expeditiously you wanted us to get to work and to travel this entire state and have the citizens of the state give voice to their pain. You said I'm not into, nobody has to cover up anything, they don't have to pretend, they don't have to make nice. I want to know what the raw feelings are and I'm paraphrasing you. What made you act so expeditiously in that moment because I'm not so sure other governors would have done, did the same. This is what we were talking about, compassion and justice, right? I mean, you have a 12-year-old boy killed. You have a man uh, who is in a Walmart and who's looking at the guns that are actually provided in the store. Who was John Crawford shot, the third? Yeah, John yeah, Crawford John the third. Crawford we had the Brelos that were that were shot uh, in Cleveland after a car chase where they were unarmed. And well, you look no, at Brelo, this and you say. Governor Brelo did the shooting. Brelo was the police officer that, that hopped on the car. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the family that was uh, that was uh, shot, and 
and, and of course we're unarmed and you know it's just like are you you know you're, you're are you kidding me and and look i've always had first of all i don't care that much about politics so if somebody's going to get mad at me because i want to form a task force around the issue of race and community and police, or I want to form a task force around the issue of, of guns or whatever. I mean, if, if people, if people don't like it, that's their problem. And I was absolutely thrilled to do this. And you notice one other thing, all the people that you and your colleagues were all women. Yeah. You're all sensitive. And yeah, you were, you were all in a position to say, we got to do something. What was I going to do? Sit there and go, well, you know, here, let's, uh, let's put it off till next week. I thought we could achieve something. And, and we did. And, um, as a result of that, I think we were able to give people a sense largely because of your work, the work of uh, your colleagues. We were going to let people know we hear you. I think a lot of the problems that we have today in the country is people say, nobody listens to me. You know, they don't understand my struggles. And so by virtue of what you did and, and the people that you work with, uh, I think you were able to convince people that we, that we, we heard them. And you might recall that meeting we had before the Republican convention with the community leaders in Cleveland. I mean, I've been to a lot of meetings in my lifetime, but the, but the trust and the, the confidence and the, uh, it was a remarkable display of leaders who said, this is our community and we're going to do this right. We're not going to have violence during a convention. We're all going to be together. We're going to work together. We're going to act together. And that was remarkable. It was a remarkable situation. And I think it's just because we saw we sought justice and we had compassion for people who had been held down. And, uh, you know, I still talk to a lot of people and, and, you know, the, the, the thing is they say, well, you know, look at all this. Our police are being harmed. I said, first of all, the people support the police, but they don't support bad police. Right. I had a conversation with a longtime friend of mine just a couple of days ago. And, you know, he started to talk to some police chiefs. And frankly, Nina, you'd be glad to know that the chiefs agreed with what I had been saying, with what you had been saying. So there's just a lot of education, and, uh, and we just can't get tired. We just got to explain to people what we're all about. We want law and order, but we don't want abuse. And we're not going to tolerate abuse, and we don't have to have abuse in order to have effective policing, good law and order, and community relations. And that's what you we're able to achieve with that task force. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpal Cyclib. 
Ibrant's 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrant's and visit ibrant's.com. Ibrant's may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrant's may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrant's, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. It was a beautiful thing, Governor. And when some ears hear law and order, you know, it, it has a different connotation. So I want us to wrap the justice around that. I got to acknowledge that. And I know you know this. I mean, even when, well, you know what? I don't want us to devolve into the pot. I want us to stay right right where we are. But I was just thinking about the current occupant of the White House, and you've been very clear about what he has done and what he is not doing properly. But he uses that term a lot, Governor. And uh, when the black community hears law and order is not, I mean, we're not homogeneous in this thought, but many activist types particularly hear that. Absolutely. It has a very negative connotation to it, a knocking of heads and not uh, finding the common ground and the compassion that is necessary. It doesn't have the same protect and serve uh, to it, law and order. And, and there have been an abundance of leaders, uh, particularly white leaders, who have used law and order to regulate. Yeah. And- yeah, absolutely. And well, you see, I learned I learned from you all the time. As we got ready to do this podcast, I said, "Well, let me say something stupid. I'm capable of doing it." But and here's another example of where you're you're educating me, and it's correct because the one thing we have to make sure of though is that because a person, you know, can be in some ways tone. I don't mean tone deaf, but say something the wrong way or or, you know, have their words lifted out and used against them, that becomes part of the cancel culture, too. And I think we have to judge people by what they say, but also what they do and and what they're all about. And, uh, you know, we're all going to make mistakes because we now live in a super sensitive culture, which we should, which we should acknowledge and realize why we're here, but also to understand that we need to learn from one another. So... Protect and serve. I like that. That's now in my vocabulary. <laughs> well, thank you. Governor. And thank He's you. Always had a willingness 
That's no, it's, it's the way it is. You do. I mean, we all do. Even I. I mean, I've been an artful at times and probably will be again. But I try to 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 check myself and to try to readjust, you know, deconstruct my construction. Once I uh, come upon new information, you, you try to use that information and, and be better. So that's that's all of us. Let me say one more thing about this. You know, we, we don't want to be in a position where it's sort of either or. And I hear this cropping up from time to time in certain, you know, when I talk to people. Oh, they want to defund the police. They don't want to have it. That's not true. And we and it has to be debunked. I, I heard somebody saying that the administration was going to ultimately use this against Joe Biden. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's for defending the police. I mean, we, we have to be, we have to be in a position where we have to explain things, you know, in a way that people can say, I, yeah, I agree and not be misunderstood. So I think what we all want to be safe, but we also don't want to be in a position of where we've been targeted and where we can have people who have authority who abuse that authority and take advantage of us, particularly when it's based on something like race. So there's that good, there's that important balance and explanation that needs to be out there. Um, but I thank you for the way you, you said what you said. You know, we were working on that task force and we had so many people, so many experts, not only the community. I want people to understand it was a 600-page report given to you, Governor. You said you wanted it done in four months. <laughs> Director Bourne and I looked at each other and said, oh, my God, we don't know how we're going to get this done, as well as the other task force members, but we got it done. Because it was important to you, it was important to me, it was important to all of us. A lot of times people see task force as a stalling mechanism. And so it was very important for us. You wanted it to really be known by the citizens of our great state that this this task force wasn't about stalling. It was about really giving voice. It was about empowerment. And it was about action. And that is why you were very clear. Can't take all day, four months, travel the state, hear the people bring back those recommendations. And I don't know if you realize how much that meant to citizens of the state. Everybody may not have been pleased. And, and some people thought that we should have gone further. And in some cases I did too. But what you will have from most people of this state, that whole notion that they knew that we meant, that you meant business, that the task force was not a stalling mechanism. It was a mechanism to get something real done. And when we gave you that report, it was 600 pages because that task force thought it was very important that the voice of the citizens of Ohio be captured in the document that we gave to you. And so every single Ohioan that came to one of our community meetings, their words are documented in that report. And from that task force, you created a collaborative and you charged that collaborative with doing the work that the task force recommended. Well, I think I think that it's clear that you and I both know that it has to be constantly improved and, and updated. But we had to get something done. Now, I also am concerned, as you are, if you don't see this on the front page or the headlines in the news, the idea of reforming our, our justice system is, can go by the wayside. However, it's not going to disappear. And you and I are both of the mindset that we can take our ideas and our approaches to other people so they can begin to understand that these are the reforms that are necessary. And I think 
there will be some politicians who will look and say, oh, I don't want to touch that. That's, that's too that's too dangerous. You know, the issue of race, I, I don't know how to handle it. Well, our warning to them is put your head in the sand and, you know, it that, that doesn't work. You need to be, you need to lead. And this is, this is something that the public, the community will support as long as it's a process that they view is inclusive and considers all sides. So I, I have a feeling that you and I, for a long period of time here, are try, going to try to convince people that this is an issue of fairness and justice and, and compassion, and it needs to be addressed everywhere. And I think we'll be successful in that. I think we will, too. It definitely has merit. There is an immediate need. There's a cry from the people, particularly the African-American community. And if you are an elected leader, especially, not exclusively, but especially, you cannot consider yourself a public servant and ignore those cries just because it might not be politically expedient. And it is absolutely going to be hard, but we can do it. So let's find compassion and common ground. Those are two words that uh, just keep haunting me right now, compassion and common ground. Governor, in your latest book, I, I think the title was "Is Up to Us." How fitting is that for for this moment? And um, I think this was in chapter one, but it was in in your book. So if uh, if it wasn't chapter one, but you had a quote at the top of this, and it was from the great Fannie Lou Hamer. And the quote that you used is, "There is one thing you have got to learn about our movement: three people are better than no people." You open up with saying that movements matter. As you reflect on when you wrote that and what's happening now, do you still feel the same way? Oh, you know, absolutely right. The movements are exciting, and to be part of one is something that is that is energizing. Uh, I have to tell you, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting thing. I have a friend who lives in Mississippi, and. Uh, he was willing to take on my campaign when I ran for president. And um, he ran for attorney general. And when he ran down there, he argued that, that, the, that the state flag, which was abomination to many people, needed to be removed and replaced. And he did it, even though he knew it could be controversial. And I was asking him about the situation in Mississippi today. And I was asking him about Fannie Lou Hamer. And, you know, you'll find this very interesting. He said, I said, do you know what they did to her when she was part of the, of the, the voter rights movement, the, the amount of abuse that, that she took? He said, yes. But today, she's considered an icon. Isn't that interesting? That she was part of a movement, part of a movement. And, I mean, what she had to go through. You know, uh, beaten and, and gassed and jailed, and but to hear this man say that she is an icon in Mississippi is pretty shocking. I'm going to have to really dig in and, and find out more about it. But isn't that isn't that interesting? It isn't it amazing? Yes, change changed this nation in the moment for her. You know, being a sharecropper, it, it probably I'm sure she wasn't sitting back thinking, "Wow, how can I make history." But history does uh, have a way of revealing the, the, the true champions. And even in that moment, it was difficult. It was hard. You are right. She was jailed. She was beating, beaten. I think the sheriffs uh, commanded, demanded that two other uh, inmates at the time uh, beat her and her colleagues. And that's what they did. 
she was kicked off the sharecropper's land, the farm that she farmed. She didn't own it. She gave up a lot and all of that just because she wanted to register to vote, Governor. That's it, just to register to vote. And so we have 21st century iterations of injustice. And so to have you know your book open up with her and the movement and what's happening right now that people have taken to the streets to, to uh, let those in power know that all is not well and that you must hear the cries of the people. There is one thing you have got to learn about our movement. Three people are better than no people. The great Fannie Lou Hamer. I couldn't think of a better person for you to open that chapter up with government. And people might be surprised that you, movements matter. That's how we get the change. That's that bottom up that you're talking about. That's exactly right. And uh, so there's, there's so many movements going on in the country today. And what I try to tell people is, don't get frustrated if it, well, you can get frustrated, but don't give up and don't be embittered if you can't get exactly what you're working for right away, but stay at it, keep at it, keep going. And, uh, if what you, what you have going on makes sense, uh, you're going to win. I mean, you know that you fought for stuff throughout your lifetime. I have as well. And if you're persistent and you, you're, you're, uh, you can seize the high moral ground, you're going to win. You're going to get it. And you'll be remembered for it. Yes, you will. Just like Fannie Lou Hamer and so many others. Well, Governor, this has been an absolute pleasure to connect with you. We've been doing some work together. People, you know, we can't, but we've been working together. I really appreciate the fact that you and I have been talking on and off since the civil unrest started because we are, we care. And, you know, we were reflecting on what we were able to do in our great state we got out in front of it, though, and that's the difference between us and what's happening now. We do recognize, I mean, this is not a judgment on any uh, leaders out there, elected or not, but we were wise enough to see that we had the ability to get in front of it. What is happening now with the civil unrest in so many places, not all, is that, the as, as Dr. King said, rioting is the, is the language of the unheard. We, we got in front of it, so there were there was no rioting government. People might be surprised to know. I mean, there was not, even though we had lots of tension, as we mentioned earlier, between what happened to Tamir Rice, what happened to John Crawford III, and then the Brelo case. Brelo was the officer that was actually charged. There were other officers right. involved. Right. I just want people to know, you know, give them a little context. And it was a couple, and I don't know if they were romantically linked or not, but they were in a car and they were driving through and somebody said they were shoot uh, shot uh, shots fired, which they absolutely had no weapons, do not know why the Cleveland police took chase. And they ended up killing this couple. And I believe it was 147 shots into their car. So we got all of these things swirling around the same time. And we got in front of this. And not just us. I mean, we had community leaders. You put religious leaders. Law enforcement was represented. You wanted to make sure that the whole of the community was represented. And one of the reasons I believe we were so successful is because we acknowledged that things went wrong. We didn't try to pretend like everything was okay. We acknowledged that. And then we gave people the opportunity to have their voices heard uh, and, and action taken. That's why I believe we were successful, Governor, besides the good Lord. I mean, we got out in, in ahead of it. Well, when you get out ahead of things, even if you can't always get it done, 
you're at least in a position of where you started. <clears throat> and that's what, that's what really matters tremendously. And that's, I think, the message to people who are listening here, whatever it is, wherever, whatever it is that you think, you get a sense that something is haywire in your company, uh, in your job, in your family, whatever, the sooner you address it, the faster you can get out in front and get ahead of things, you're going to be in a much better shape than if you lay back and think things are just going to get better by themselves. They're not. And that's why, frankly, the title of this latest book I wrote is called It's Up to Us. It's not up to somebody else. It's up to you and me. That's it. Amen. And we can get it done with compassion, by finding compassion and common ground. Thank you so much, Governor. It was it's a pleasure. You're welcome. I know we have argued many times over the course. I do want people to know it is important that they know this was not we this didn't start off with roses. I mean roses have thorns. I don't know why people use the rose example, but we we started off on, on opposite ends and even to this day we just respect each other. We know we might not always agree on everything, but you and I we tussled. Uh, we tussled over. Yeah, we tussled <laughs> a few times. <laughs> yes, we did. But Thank you. And I want to wish you the best of luck with your podcast. It's something people should listen to, and I'm sure every week there'll be something new and interesting. Now, I'm going to be okay. listening. So. Well, thank you so very much. I appreciate that. Hello Somebody is a production of Large Media Network. Our logo and web design was created by Grayson Co. Special thanks to other members of the Hello Somebody team. Tiffany Hale, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, Julia Griffin, Angelo Greco, and Anna Mesa. Now, if you would like to support our production, please become a member on patreon.com forward slash hello somebody. And finally, come join us for more conversation on my social media channels at Nina Turner. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.